I'm so glad you're here as we continue in our teaching series on the book of Isaiah. So turn in your Bibles, if you have a copy of God's Word, open up to Isaiah chapter 38. We're going to be in chapter 38 today. And while you're turning to Isaiah 38, I thought, I've kind of wondered when in the series I should do this, and it seems like today uh, will be the day. Um, Do you ever... uh, you ever go to like a, a mall, big vast shopping mall you've never been to, or like a theme park, <laughs> back when you could go to malls and theme parks, uh, but it's all spread out everywhere, you've never been before, and uh, uh, you, there's all these treasures and all these cool things you want to explore, but you have no idea where you are, and you're looking all around for this big kiosk somewhere in the middle of the hall that says directory. Ah, then you walk up to the directory, and you stand there looking around, and there's all this stuff you recognize, but it still doesn't help you because you cannot orient where you are, and so you're scanning this massive directory for a big red sticker that says what? You are here, which is this existential statement like, oh yeah. And then you're able to orient where you are and where you want to go. The book of Isaiah has so many treasures in it to explore, but it might be helpful to pause and just go, okay, where are we in this book? What's going on? So I thought this would be the time to do the you are here. Think of Isaiah, it's 66 chapters, right? Think of Isaiah really in two parts. Chapters 1 through 39, and that's what we're going to finish with today. We're going to conclude. 1 through 39 is mostly Isaiah's word of judgment to the people, right? Wake up. Turn back to God. God is going to use the Assyrians as his judgment, and he's going to, basically like the floodwaters are going to come up to your neck. He, the Assyrian shop is going to get your attention. They're going to attack you, but they won't ultimately destroy you. Babylon will come in and do it, and that, that, that's the prediction, right? They're going to, Babylon's going to tear your city to the ground and take you off into exile, Remember your Bible history, right? That's how uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and all those got right? That exile, they're going to take you off. Then chapters 40 through 66, that's pretty cool. Isaiah is writing a letter to the future generation that will be in exile. It's not there yet. They're going to be. It's as if to say, they're going to carry off into exile. And then 40 through 66 is this set of letters that somewhere in exile, they find Isaiah writes them to the future generation. Now, um, if you know your Bibles, there's an easy way to remember. It's kind of cool. It's crazy how this works out. There are 66 books in the Bible. One through 39, the first 39 books are the Old Covenant. We call it the Old Testament. And then chapters 40 through 66, books 40 through 66 are the New Covenant. So Isaiah is like a Bible in miniature. There's one through 39, then there's uh, 40 and beyond. And so if if you're like me and you're like, that's great. I'm a visual learner. I don't know if you're like that. And you're like, that's great. That's a lot. My head's kind of swimming. There's a resource for visual learners like me. It's called the Bible Project. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible Project. Just Google it. They got all these, these great, very visual. This guy draws out. It's, it's great biblical studies, and he draws it out so you can kind of map out. You can kind of see it. Um, he, it gives you an overview. It's not like in-depth study. It gives you an overview of all these books of the Bible, and that's really helpful. So you say, I wonder what Obadiah is about. You know, the Bible Project gives you an overview. I wanted to show you just so you can see. This is one, this is one minute clip. I pulled one minute out of a longer video where he's talking about Isaiah. Because for those of you who are visual learners, here's where we are in the book of Isaiah and its literary structure. 
Now, the book has a pretty complex literary design, but there's one simple way to see how it all fits together. Chapters 1 through 39 contain three large sections that develop Isaiah's warning of judgment on Israel. And it all culminates in an event pointed to at the end of chapter 39, the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the people to Babylon. But in chapters 1 to 39, there's also a message of hope that after the exile, God's covenant promises would all be fulfilled. And chapters 40 to 66 pick up that promise of hope and develops it further. Yeah, so right there, you, you see that, that picture. Uh, I don't know if it, uh, uh, it, it, he'll go back, obviously, in the video and fill it in like a comic book. But that's kind of what the Bible project is like. But I want you to see there's a, there's a stopping point after 39. And 40 through 66 are going to be these letters written to the exiles, which means, y'all, you've come to quite a milestone today. I mean, this is the end of a big section. This is it. After this is like the letters to the to the Israelites in exile. So you've made it through a big portion of the first part of Isaiah. I, I think you should give yourselves a hand for that. I, okay, all right, all right. Small hand. Well, I'm proud of you. Let's continue. Now, let's drill. Now that you know kind of where we are, let's drill down. Isaiah 38, starting in verse 1. In those days. Okay, now this... <clears throat> is meant to tie us back to chapters 36 and 37. In other words, this happened right around the same time last week's sermon was happening. Do you remember last week's message? The Rabshakeh comes with his 185,000 Assyrian warriors, and we're going to lay siege to you, and we're going to do all this stuff, but God has other plans. Well, right about that time, in fact, in fact, just before that Assyrian invasion, here's what was going on in Hezekiah's personal life. Pretty cool, right? It's almost like a flashback. We get to see what happened right before that Assyrian invasion. Here's what Hezekiah was dealing with personally. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. We don't know what it was, but here he is. He's come to death's door. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Okay, you know, we, we talk about bedside manner. Uh, I don't, uh, I, you know, a physician has a bedside manner, like the way they deliver news. I'm not, I, I guess in medical school, in, as a prophet, they skip that section in prophet school. And Isaiah just comes right out and says, that's it, set your house in order, you're going to die. At which point to me, the second part seems unnecessarily cruel, for you shall die. And that means you shall not, rec- I, 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 yeah, I, I, you had me a die. What's, what's going on here? Is this cruel? Is this harsh for the man of God to come and to speak to Hezekiah, set your house in order? Well, we need to understand what set your house in order means. It doesn't mean get a will. It doesn't mean make sure all your beneficiaries are properly updated and designated. It doesn't mean make sure your financial affairs are all set. No, no, no. When he says set your house in order, what's he talking about? He's talking about your relationship with God. He's saying, get right with God, because you're going to die. You need to set your house in order. That's it. You are about to meet your maker, which means, which means, in a way, that's not cruel, y'all. That's a mercy. How many people are fortunate enough to know that they know that they know that they're about to meet their maker and get right with the Lord? See, a lot of people do it this way. You know what? I I do need to improve my relationship with God. I'll get to that next year. You know what? Maybe tomorrow I'll get right. No, set your house in order. You're going to die. That's a mercy. Well, 
The fact is, that's a word for all of us. We are all one day. Something's going to take us out. We are going to die. Is your house in order? How is it with you and the Lord? If you were to meet your maker, I mean, you know, you, you think about those old timers, uh, those old time revival preachers, and man, I remember being a youth revival. It wasn't like you, BJ, Pastor BJ, we didn't, man, we had youth speakers. It wasn't like today. This guy, get up here, he's 400 years old. <laughs> my, my, my mom's German and my dad's a brontosaurus. And he would point that bony finger at us. How many of you, if you were to go, how many of you know that you know that you know? Do you know where you'd go if you go? Do you know if you were to die in your sleep tonight? Do you know where you'd go? And me and my sister's like, I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> And we'd walk out of there, and if you were to be, if you were to leave here tonight and be hit by a Mack truck and eaten by coyotes, you're like, what? Everybody's coming to the altar. What is on your mind? I don't know. I think I'm saved. It's just a coyotes thing. I mean, we were t- terrified. Terrified. Here's the thing. It's easy to laugh at that. Those guys were not wrong. Were they? And if you grew up in that, you, you, can, you can laugh with me a little bit, but you also have to agree. They weren't wrong. You are promised exactly zero tomorrows so is your house in order in fact let me say let me be as plain as i can if you're here this morning and you're not a christian if you're watching me online and you are not yet a believer you'd say i don't claim jesus christ as my lord and savior he's not the lord of my life i don't live for him he's not the governing allegiance by which i make all uh if that's you if you'd say jesus christ is not my savior your sermon ends now (laughs) I only have one application point for you. For everybody, this is application number, point number one. If you're a note taker, I'm going to have four of these. You can write them down. But this is application point number one, and it's this. You ready? Set your house in order. That's it. If you're lost this morning, your sermon's done. You don't need to listen to the rest of the sermon. You need to apply point number one. You need to get right with the Lord. And you can do it right now. You can cry out to him. If you're online, you can reach out to other people in the, in the chat. You, you know that Christian friend that's been bugging you to watch this video? Text them right now. You can do it. And, 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 and you'd say, well, I'm going to miss the rest of the sermon. Can you imagine for the rest of your life, your testimony will be, I got saved and uh, right around point one, somewhere in the middle of Isaiah 38. I have no idea the rest of the sermon, but God touched my heart and I got saved. That's it for you. That, that's your message. Set your house in order. This is his message to Hezekiah. Now, for those of you who are believers, we've got more applications we can draw from this. But that's the first thing. Set your house in order. When you're given the news that you're about to die, when you're given this death sentence, when the doctor says it's inoperable, when you've been in that accident and they say you're never going to walk again, you're never going to recover, what does Hezekiah, Hezekiah does exactly what we all do. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, please, O oh Lord, remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. There it is, prayers and tears. Prayers and tears. Have you been there? Do you have a loved one who's been there that you've prayed and cried over, wept over? I, I gotta be honest, I, I don't know what to make of this prayer. I, on the one hand, Hezekiah was a good king. I think he could say, I've, you know, I've served the Lord with my whole heart. But, but there's a couple things wrong with this. One, there's no way he's been perfectly faithful, whole heart, always done what's good in God's sight. It's a little self-righteous. And secondly, it's like, it's almost like he's in bargain mode with God. You know? God, what do you mean I'm going to die in the middle of my life? Have you forgotten? Lord, may I remind you, okay? I have lived a good life. I've walked faithfully. I've been blameless. I am entitled to better than this. You hear that? Now, here's the thing. 
I got to be gentle with this. I, 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 think it's, I think it is a theologically weak prayer, but it's also a real prayer. Because that's, I've heard that. So on the one hand, I'm filled with mercy because who am I to say I would be any different? When bad news strikes, often one of the first things that happen is, but why, God? Why? Why this family? Why did you do that to them? They've been so faithful to you. You hear that? The intimation is, because I've been faithful, you owe me. Or, oh, God, what about, why did you deny them this blessing? Look, all these other couples are able to have kids. This couple can't have kids. Why? They've been so faithful to you. They've been so good. They'd be such good parents. What do you do? God, you see, you hear that? Because they've been good, they're entitled to this. I've heard people pray that, so I get it. I just, let's just put a pin in that. that, that for right now, let's just say it's a theologically weak prayer. I'm not saying I can blame him. Either way, God responds. Verse four, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Now this is, we get a little extra detail in 2 Kings. Uh, did you know that, by the way? Um, in, the, in the Bible, there are these history books. And for like First and Second Kings, for example, and they're written about the history from the perspective of the kings. We have books like prophet books, like Isaiah, and they're written for, from the perspective of the prophet. But here's what's cool. Sometimes prophets and kings talk to each other, and when that happens, you get them in both places. So we get this exact story, exact story with actually a little more detail from the king's perspective over in 2 Kings. And it says that Isaiah was told, go tell Hezekiah, you're going to die. Set your affairs in order. And it says he hadn't even gotten off the porch before God was like, go back. Tell him I'm going to give him 50 more years. He's like, wait, but I I just told him he's going to die. Now I'm going back? Like, I'm going to look weird. You're a prophet. You're already weird, Isaiah. Who do you work for? Get in there. So he does. The Lord tells him, verse 5, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of, ah, the God of David, your father. Notice that. He, he thinks about his covenant with David. He looks upon David and grants Hezekiah this blessing. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. This is so precious to me. Here's what God did not say. Oh my goodness, you have convinced me because of your faithful living that you are entitled to more of my blessing. I'm so glad you reminded me. Oh, I, I really don't want to let you live any longer, but you got me. I forgot about your wholeness of heart and your blameless living. You, you really got me into a corner, Hezekiah. Oh, checkmate, you win. I'm now, none of that. I heard your prayer. I saw your tears. And I'm just going to give you 15 more years. Why, because of your goodness and faithfulness? No, because I'm a good heavenly father. What's my application point? You ready? Application point number two. You ready? Even when your prayers are weak, pray them anyway. Even if your prayers are weak, pray them anyway. What do I mean by that? God's not up in heaven waiting for you to get all of your doctrine right in your praying. Just go to him. What's that song we sang? Run to the father. That's the idea. Run to him with your prayers. Well, God doesn't ask you to get yourself all cleaned up and then go to him. Just cry out to him. God had mercy on Hezekiah. He was crying out. His prayer was pretty self-centered and weak, but God was looking at his heart. Sometimes, you know, we, we pray on Wednesday nights at this intercessory prayer meeting where we pray over all the 70 or 80 names on our prayer list each week, whatever it happens to be, and uh, lift those names up to the Lord and if you're not a part of that prayer meeting and you want to be, I've got a Zoom invitation with your name on it. You just, you just let the church know. I'll be glad to get you that invite. Uh, but sometimes as we're praying for these people, I, I think, God, you're, you're not going to answer this prayer because we're such good prayers. 
you're going to answer this prayer because you're such a good prayer answerer. Like the power is not in me trying to figure out what the magic incantation is that's going to stir your heart. The power's in God. He loves. It's, it's like a little kid, you know, and coming to his father to ask him for something. Like a kid going to our father, running to him. So even if your prayers are weak, pray him anyway. He heals out of his grace and out of his mercy. We're not owed anything. We're not entitled to anything. We just have a heavenly father who loves us. And he tells Hezekiah, he gives him a new lease on life, literally, 15 years, non-renewable. Soon, I'm going I'm, I'm to spare you a little while longer. In the same way, I'm going to spare your city a little while longer from Assyria. It's ultimately going to be Babylon to take them down. And that's verse 6. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. That's why we think it's a flashback. This happened before the Assyrian invasion. And if you were here last week, say amen if God can defend a city. Amen. Oh man, 185,000 with one angel? Hey, listen, to defend this city? Church, do we need God to defend our city? Do we need God to defend our schools? Do we need God to defend our families, our homes? If that gets you excited, if you think, yes, we need God to defend our city, how do you do it? You pray to the Lord. It's the Lord who can defend a city. It's the Lord who can defend a family. It's the Lord who can defend a marriage. It's the Lord, ultimately, who keeps these schools safe this fall, you see? We need him to defend us. Well, God gives Hezekiah this sort of crazy thing. I guess it goes back to Ahaz when he was offered a sign, and he was like, oh, no, I need no sign. I plan to disobey God already. And so he, but he gives Hezekiah this choice of a sign. It's pretty cool. You can read about it in 7 and 8. You get more detail in 2 Kings. Basically, they had a sundial. And it's not like a sundial like in your back garden. It was a sundial with stairs, steps that went up to a tower and back down the other side. And they would mark the times and the seasons by these stairs. So the shadow of the sun would hit and you would know what, what time it was. And so God gives Hezekiah a choice of a sign. Uh, he needs a sign because you can tell Hezekiah you're instantly healed, but they didn't have MRIs back then. You know, so the doctor couldn't be like, the cancer's gone. It's a miracle. By the way, that's still a miracle today. I'm just saying he, he wanted some sign. He wanted some proof. So God says, okay. Do you want me to fast forward the sun's shadow 10 hours and jump 10 hours ahead? Or do you want me to walk it back 10 hours? And Hezekiah is going, are you kidding? You gave me 15 more years. I literally know the date of my death. That's horrifying. So I don't know. Let's not move forward anything. Let's go back. He says, and besides, the sun's going to move forward anyway. Let's go back 10 hours. And so God does. He rolls the shadow back 10 hours. Now, I've thought about, that's a miracle which is why I can't explain it. I mean, did God, I mean, did, did, with the shadows or the sun, or was there like an eclipse of all? Did he, re, did he rotate the earth the other direction? I have no idea. You say, well, what do I do with that? Here, here, here's the deal. When a miracle like that, how does that happen? Here's the deal. In, when it comes to miracles in the Bible, remember this. If you can get past Genesis 1-1, the rest is no problem. <laughs> in other words, if in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, he can do whatever he wants with the shadows. Fair? <laughs> okay. So he gives him this sign, and then in verse 9, Hezekiah does what anyone does. So he's got this sign. He's going to be healed. This is incredible. He's gone through this journey of hearing that you're going to die. And then he goes through this journey where somehow miraculously he's been spared. What does Hezekiah do at that point? He does what any of us would do when we receive this incredible blessing. He posts it all on social media. And he puts it up, I, his version of social media was, he wrote this journal entry, this song, and then broadcast it here for the world to see, which is what social media is, your private diary for everyone. So a, a, as you're reading through this, 
you can go back and read it. It starts in verse 9. Here's all I want you to do. Here's all I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, does any of this sound familiar? If you've ever, you or a loved one, let's say you or someone you know has been given that diagnosis. You're never going to walk again. Uh, You know, you're always going to have this sickness. You're going to die from this cancer. And then you're a survivor. God did a miracle. God did something. If that's you, just ask yourself, does any of verses 9 through, oh, what is it, 20, does anyone 9 through 20 sound familiar? Here's what's in there. He recounts the numbed shock he first felt. He was numb when he first got the news. Does that sound familiar to your journey? He talks about his anger at God. Anybody sound familiar? He talks about his exhaustion of it all. He's just tired. Anybody? Does that sound familiar? He cried to the Lord. He realized it was the Lord who inflicted him. But then there's a turning point. And he began to turn toward gratitude, not anger. Because he realized he got to experience more of God. And a healing. He got a new humility. A new appreciation of God's love. And there's this determination to praise God. And for the rest of his life to tell anyone who will listen of the faithfulness of God. Does that sound familiar? That's a very, very common narrative arc as people go through pain. I told you I wasn't going to look at every verse, but I can't resist number 17. Look at 38, 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Can you imagine? Eventually came to the point where he realized this is for God's glory and my good. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. All right. The stage is set. Here we go. We got this king who's got, got this great prayer. He's, got, he's, he's found this sure footing of faith. Surely, after receiving a great blessing of God, surely the people of God, just like Hezekiah does, surely after he receives this great blessing of God, he's fully equipped to walk straight on the paths of faithfulness. Right? You can tell by I'm, I'm, the way I'm asking the question, there's about to be a great fall here of Hezekiah. I mean, surely, right? After the people of God get blessing, doesn't that mean they're absolutely going to obey every time? <sighs> Chapter 39, here we go. Let's see what happens. At that time, Merodach Baladan, how do you get a name like Baladan? The son of Baladan, oh, that's, that's how. King of Babylon sent envoys with a letter and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he'd been sick and had recovered. Now, look, it, it, it doesn't take a scholar to realize this is Babylon, okay? Babylon, it, if something's like, this doesn't seem right, why would Babylon be being so nice to Hezekiah? Oh, I heard in a far-off land in this little podunk nation that there's a king who was about to die and was healed. Maybe they know something we don't. Let's, let's go see him and let's thank him and send him these gifts and this letter. Something's fishy here, right? Uh, what's going on here? A little history. So Babylon is the up and comer. Everybody knows it. Babylon's where the culture is. It's where the wealth is. It's where the power is. It's only a matter of time. And Assyria, Assyria is technically the ruling empire. Technically Babylon works for Assyria, but everybody knows it's only a matter of time. Assyria is going down. They're going down militarily. They're going down in power. Uh, Babylon is on the, on the rise. And, and so and everybody knows it. So Babylon is beginning to piece together these little alliances because Babylon knows they're about to flex on Assyria and it's all going to be over. So, so they go out and look for anybody who's already mad at Assyria. Well, there's this, I mean, they're not, they're not a lot. They don't have a lot to offer. But Judah, have you heard of Hezekiah? Apparently his God healed him and may, he's mad at Assyria. They, they don't like Assyria at all. Maybe we could join forces. Now, do you remember? Here, what's the problem with that? 
Remember how this whole thing, think back way back in Isaiah. What's Isaiah been saying? Do not trust these pagan nations. Don't trust Babylon. Don't rely on Babylon. Rely on God. Don't turn to Babylon. Do not hitch your wagon to Babylon. It's going down. If you do, there'll be terrible consequences. When will you learn? You've got to trust in God. Do not hitch your wagon to Babylon. Do you remember? Babylon's going to come under judgment. I'm going to wipe it clean and give it all, all, all to the hedgehogs or whatever. So do not hitch your wagon to Babylon, Hezekiah. Stand tall. Trust in God. Thank them for their letter. Thank them for their gift. Then send them on their way. Don't hitch your wagon to Babylon. What does Hezekiah do? Verse 2. Totally hitches his wagon to Babylon. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. Oh, Hezekiah. Right on the heels of this blessing from God. He's flattered, y'all. You're going to see this in his comments. You can hear it dripping with flattery, with insecurity. Here's Hezekiah going, envoys from Babylon? Big, powerful Babylon here to see little old me? Wow, y'all, I heard they're sending somebody from New York City right here to Mayberry. It's going to come on, right? He's flattered. Oh, wow, Babylon, you guys came all the way from Babylon. I knew I was a big, I knew I was a big deal, but like all the way from Babylon? What's on your mind? Oh, I don't know. Just, just show us around what you got, right? Of course, they're looking for who's going to be a decent military ally. And Hezekiah, who's so blinded by his flattery, does what? And he showed them his treasure house. Oh, good call, Hezekiah. The silver, not the gold. The gold! Oh, but not the secret original herbs and spices from chaos. The spices! You gave away the spice. The precious oil. His whole armory. Why not? At this point, all that was found in his storehouses... There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Can you imagine? This would be like taking ISIS on a guided tour of the Pentagon's top secret war plan room. What are you thinking? You're supposed to send them on their merry way. Instead, you're like, well, also, we've got all this. Have I shown you all this? And you can imagine the Babylonians. Oh, that's nice, right? Showed them their armory. He's supposed to say, thank you very much. But I'm going to trust in Yahweh. Let me tell you about this healing he did. And then he confirmed it with a miraculous sign. I'm good. Instead, he goes all MTV Cribs with these guys and starts waltzing them through. Here's my Jordans. Like, come on, man. Here's the secret recipe for the orange rolls. What are you doing? What's the application? If you're writing these down, this is number three. Trust in God is not a one-time event, but a lifelong journey. I'll say it again. Application point number three is this. Trust in God is not a one-time event. It's a lifelong journey. As a guy, you cried out to God. You're going to cry out to him when the Assyrians come. You've, you've done it. You've done it before. You'll do it again. But it's a lifelong journey. These people that say, well, I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old, and I haven't had to think twice about any dependence on God or any trust in God since. What are you, what are you talking about? Praise God you came to faith at a young age. But trust is a lifelong journey. I need thee. Oh, I need thee, the old hymn says. Every hour I need thee. Daily, daily dependence. Hezekiah instead fell for flattery. 
which is incredible. It's incredible. Here's this great man of faith. You know, it's incredible. Here is the faith of Hezekiah, which has withstood the heaviest blows, and it melts at the touch of flattery. Isn't that something? Satan couldn't bring him down with 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, so he instead appealed to his pride. Pride has brought people down in a way that 185,000 Assyrian soldiers couldn't. The world, the flesh, and the devil. He tried the flesh. He tried to take his life. The devil attacked him through Assyria. None of that worked, so he tried the world. Friendship with the world. Flattery from the world. Application number three was trust in God is not a one-time event. It's a lifelong journey. It goes hand-in-hand with number four. Application number four, and, and final, the last one. Don't be flattered by the world. Don't be flattered by the world. Do not be flattered by the world's approval, however you want to word that. Don't take so seriously the world's approval. Hezekiah calls him out on it. Look at verse 3. Then Hezekiah the prophet came to King, uh, sorry, then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what do these men say and from where do they come to you? Hezekiah said, well, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. You hear it, right? You hear the the vanity, the insecurity. And Isaiah said, well, what have they seen in your house? And now poor Hezekiah is like thinking, why would Isaiah, Uh uh-oh. Like is it starting to dawn on him that maybe, just maybe this was like inviting the fox into the hen house? So he says, um, I I think he doubles down because he realized how dumb it is. Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. I'm not ashamed. There's nothing in my storehouse I didn't show them. Verse 5. Then Isaiah said, good, because they're about to own it all. (laughs) Good for you. You've given them an inventory so that when they come and pillage your old city, they'll know exactly where to find all the spices. Why don't you barcode it next time with the Dewey Decimal System of Destruction that's about to come down. What he actually said was, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. There's a lot in that verse. (sighs) Hezekiah was flattered by the world and he chose friendship with the world over being a friend of God. (laughs) What he should have said was, you know, honestly, I'm I'm good. I'm gonna stick with God. But he was so flattered by the world's approval. He just wanted to be in. Babylon was the in. It was the inner ring. It was the inner circle. It was the click. It was where, if I could just get in, and he sold out everything. And let me just tell you, when when you sell out everything, it's not just you, it's your legacy, isn't it? All that's in your house, which your, if you go back to verse six, which your fathers have have stored up. your, your, Your fathers have stored this up for you, and now it's all gone. Something else that's here, I just want you to see, the days are coming, that is foreshadowing. You see what that does? That sets the table for the next time we come to Isaiah, we'll be in chapter 40. The days are coming when all y'all are gonna be in Babylon. And so I'll have a whole nother set of letters set aside to read to them in that day. But you just need to know the days are coming. It's all gonna be gone. And that's also, one last thing about that. That's also really important. Bible prophecy, one of the great values of Bible prophecy is so that when it comes true, you can, when you're living it, in other words, when the exiles read this, wait a minute, wait a minute, Isaiah predicted this. This isn't out of left field. God said this was gonna happen, and it's happening. That's great comfort when you go through it. See, because you can realize everything's going according to God's plan. That's great comfort in 2020, by the way, because we have prophecies in Scripture, and we can know that 
It's according to his plan. It gets worse. Not only are they going to take away all your treasures and some of your own sons who will come from you, you, Hezekiah, you, the covenant with David, that's your line, that the king from David's line will always be on the throne, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Yeah, you, for whom all the promises are, are, are coming down like a funnel, you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Terrible judgment. Terrible news. And here's Hezekiah's response. And y'all, th- <laughs> this is just wrong. Hezekiah hears a word of terrible judgment. Your whole city's going to be wiped out. Everything's going to be gone. It's all going to be taken away. Some, your bloodline is going to literally be cut off. And you, you, you all this is going to happen. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, Oh, the word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. For he thought, there'll be peace and security in my days. <gasps> Bro, you've just been given word that everything happening generation after you is going to be a complete destruction and meltdown. And your response is, oh, good. So it'll be good for me. You're missing the headline here, Hezekiah. But I've actually heard people talk like this. I've heard people say stuff like this. Well, the country's drowning in debt. Everything's going down racism and immorality, but that's all right. I'll be dead soon. <laughs> Not my problem. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? And besides, Hezekiah, you were just given a word of judgment. Remember chapter 38? You're going to die. What did you do? You cried out. You prayed. Where's the crying out, Hezekiah? Where's the praying? Hezekiah is mortal like us. See, the reason that's important here coming at the end of this first section, 39, is remember Isaiah's, well, I'll say it this way. You might know the answer to this, but they didn't. Many people are reading Isaiah and they're seeing Hezekiah's faithfulness and they're seeing his trust and Isaiah has all these promises. Wait, there's a king coming. There's a king. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the government will be upon his shoulders and more and more it's looking like Hezekiah might be the dude. Hezekiah's the guy. He's the Messiah and he's gonna usher this new kingdom and it's gonna be lion lies down with the wolf dwells with the lamb. Oh, it's gonna be, maybe Hezekiah's the guy. This is here to remind us Hezekiah's not the guy. We need to keep looking. And we won't find that, of course, until the birth of the Messiah. Young people, I want to talk to you about this last application point and bring this to a close. I said, do not be flattered by the world's approval. What do I mean by that? Uh, I want to talk to, to the young people in the room. I'll let you, I'll let you self-discern whether you're in that group. <laughs> uh, it's okay to be weird. That's what I want to say. It's okay to be weird. There is such pressure to fit in, such pressure to be like the world, to be cool, to not, you don't want to be seen as holier than thou, you don't want to be seen as judgmental, I get all that. I think it's time you embrace the weirdness. Now, don't be a weirdo because you're obnoxious. <laughs> be a winsome weirdo. <laughs> I've got lots of enemies, the world hates me because I stand for Christ. No, they, you're just obnoxious. I'm talking about being a, what John Piper calls a winsome weirdo. You're not going to fit in because you live for Jesus Christ, not for the values of this world, but you're winsome because you're constantly thinking of new ways to love and to do good. First Peter says you're a resident alien. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. That's what I mean by don't be flattered by the world's approval. Adults, the same application applies for you, but picture, will you? Picture, what are you going to impress the world with? Really? What could you as a Christian impress the world with that they don't already have more of? Can you imagine, come with me, come with me to Hezekiah's tour of his palace. Do you realize what a joke that was to the Babylonians who had seen wealth untold? Do you know how pathetic Hezekiah 
He's going around, mm, look at this, huh? The king's dining room. And they're, ooh, you know, they're faking, ooh, ah, ooh, Chinette. Ooh, yeah, ooh, red solo cups, that's great. We have goblets, okay? Like we have real, Babylon. Remember the Assyrian last week, the Rabshaka? Remember his trash talk? I'd, I'd spot you 2,000 horses. You don't have enough riders to put on them. What do you think the envoys from Babylon when they saw, and here's our armory? And they're like, where? Here, where? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, very impressive. It's a joke. Hezekiah trying to impress the Babylonians with what? With what? The one thing. He shows them everything. The one thing. They've already got more of it. They're not impressed. Listen, the one thing the Babylonians didn't have was Yahweh. He didn't say a word about him. The world doesn't need more cultural cool influencers. The world needs more Jesus. They're not going to be impressed. They're not. There's no sense trying to be flattered by a world that ultimately doesn't need more of whatever we've got to impress them with. You see where I'm going with this? There's no need church to feel cool or hip. The world will always be cooler than the church. The world will always be more hip than the church. The world will always have more technological advancement than the church. The world will always be more cutting edge than the church. The world's got everything we can try to impress them with. What they don't have is Jesus. That's why everything, I know methods change and you want to be contextual. I'm all for that, of course. But at the end of the day, we have but one message. It's Christ and him crucified. That's it. Oh, but it's hope for the sinner. It's hope for the lost. Don't try to, you know, J.I. Packer died at 93 last week. And J.I. Packer, this great theologian, he wrote all these books. The one thing they said it is obituary, if you read it, it's so incredible. I mean, this guy, I mean, millions of copies of Knowing God. And he would take like this, this, he took a teaching gig in Vancouver when all the action was happening in other places. He would speak anywhere that asked him. It didn't matter. And five people, and here's DJI Packer coming to speak. It just seemed like it didn't matter. He'd write a foreword for every book, but he'd never say a word about his own. Here's what they said about him. His whole life, his steadfast refusal to ever cultivate a following. Because what he wanted was followers for Jesus. I thought, is that not a word for our culture that worships celebrity, that's going after all the likes and the shares and the upvotes and the subscribes and the, and the, and the, and the, and the TikToks and the, you, sorry, I don't know what I'm talking But you know what I mean? And all that stuff. Here's J.I. Packer steadfastly refusing a following. Oh, Hezekiah so flattered by the world. Good friend of mine, C.S. Lewis, talks about this in an essay you should read. It's actually a speech he gave. They wrote it down. It's free. It's available on the interwebs. And uh, if you just Google The Inner Ring, The Inner Ring by C.S. Lewis. Even if you've never read it, you're familiar with what he's talking about. He says the driving force of so many people's lives is to get on the inside of The Inner Ring. Oh, to be on the inside of that inner ring. Some people call them cliques. Some people call them in-groups. Whatever it is, we all know it. And the thing is, it's different for different people. For some people, the inner ring is the halls of power and palaces. For other people, they reject that. Their inner ring is the smoky room with just the four or five of us who really know what's going on. We really, we really get it. That's great for all these other people. We, ah, that's the inner ring. The problem is what? The inner ring's always moving. And you find that there's an inner side, there's an innermost ring inside an inner ring. And you always end up in the sheer terror of being left out. Lewis isn't telling us. Hezekiah's story is telling us. The word of God is telling us. Don't live and die for the inner ring. Why? Because what Hezekiah was so desperate for, the world's approval, he already had, he, he already had God's love. Let's close with verse 17. Go back to that line from his journal entry. Do you remember it? 3817. 
what Hezekiah was so longing for, I want you to see he already had. He knew instinctively. He knew that somehow a holy God had to deal with his sin problem. And here's what's incredible about this verse to me. He knew that, that somehow, how can a holy God bless a sinner like me? He had to remove my sin problem, but he has no idea how. Now, Hezekiah could have never, in a, he could have never predicted Jesus or Calvary. He didn't know anything about Rome or Nazareth. But 700 years before Jesus came, look at what he says. To me, it's very interesting. He could have said, you remove, you, you, you've delivered my life, you saved me. Four, you have cast all my sins behind your back. He could have said, you've taken all my sins and you've thrown them away. He didn't say that. He could have said, you've taken all my sins and you've cast them way out into a field. You, you've taken all my sins and rolled them up like a ball, like Shebna, and threw them out into a into left field. He didn't say any of that. Of all the metaphors he could have used, isn't it something? He says, you've cast all my sins behind your back. I don't want to make too much of this, but how can we, as blood-bought Christians, who, how can we, who've been saved by the sacrifice of, of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, on Good Friday, how can we not see, you've put my sins behind your back, how can we not see the man of sorrows with the, with the, the whip beating his back and by his stripes were healed? And where did they put that cross? They lay it right on his back and our cross surely he has carried our iniquities did he not put our sins on his own back did he not cast our sins behind his own back how did Hezekiah we when, when, when God looked down at Hezekiah and he considered David when he considered the faithfulness of David he gave Hezekiah 15 more years. Let me ask you something. When God looks at the perfect obedience and perfect death of Jesus Christ, what does he grant us? If David got 15 more years for Hezekiah, Christ grants eternal life to all who believe. So you don't have to hunt for the world's approval. Oh, rest in the approval of God. Go be a weirdo for Jesus Christ this week. You don't have to bow to any cultural wave that comes your way if your prayers are weak pray them anyway and as I said at the beginning if you need to be saved set your house in order faith is not a one time event it's a lifetime journey will you pray with me oh God grant to us that we might trust in you in such a way that we are not flattered by the world's approval God free us from approval addiction Instead, let us offer Jesus as resident aliens in the world, but not of it. Grant that, Lord. If there's anyone here who needs to receive you, let them set their house in order today. Don't let them, don't let them uh, log off if they're watching this online. Don't let them leave here today without settling that issue and getting their house in order. And God, thank you for your love, and thank you that faith is a lifetime journey. And we look forward, if you will, to coming back to your word as we begin this new section in chapter 40. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so glad you are here today. Uh, it's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. All, all three worship services, what, just what a joy. It's, it's feeling, it's just good. It's good to see you and see God's people gathering. For those who are online, look forward, to, I look forward to the day when we can gather more and more. Pastor BJ is going to come and give us our benediction and offertory. 
But before he does, we're going to celebrate a little good news. In these days, we got to celebrate every good news anywhere we can find it. Am I right? So here's what we're going to celebrate. <clears throat> Maestro, if you would. Pastor B.J. Shelton, seminary degree, a master's of arts in Christian education from the New Orleans Baptist Seminary. Let it go, B.J. It is. I, everybody's doing commencements different these days, but this is how we're doing ours. Uh, Pastor B.J. Shelton, uh, this is a diploma from the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, awarding the degree of Master's of Arts in Christian Education, a seminary degree. B.J., we are so proud of you, and uh, I uh, personally, on behalf of the church, want to uh, congratulate you and say thank you. This has been a lot of work. It's a big milestone, not just for you, Lauren had a part in this. Judah had a part in it. I don't know if Judah helped you on writing these papers. or her, I figure if you're up at 3 a.m. anyway, you know, it helps. Uh, but uh, you and your family are a blessing to us. And um, uh, church, in just a moment, I'd like you to join me in another round of applause for, for this reason. Uh, we know, don't we, how fortunate we are to have a student minister of BJ's caliber that he is uh, faithful and that has not only been here, but been here for quite some time, and that cannot be undervalued for our young people to know that they've got a faithful, consistent presence in Pastor BJ. On a personal note, you know my family and I love you, and I'm grateful for your friendship and for the chance to co-labor with you in the gospel. Can we give one more round of appreciation and applause for BJ Shelton? Do you, is it, I mean, I'll spray it, I'll spray it, I'll spray it down. I'll spray it down. Thanks so much. Pastor After Tom. I sanitize, and now the benediction. Love you. Thanks so much, church. Will you stand your feet all across the room? Thanks so much for your support and your prayers uh, throughout all this uh, season of life. Most certainly couldn't have done it without you, my sweet family, my wonderful bride, and my awesome son. So I love you. It's an exciting time in our lives. Our benediction today is going to be 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.